0: You're listening to That's The Industry Podcast, episode number 13. Today, we are going to do a deep dive into the content creating world. That's YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, all that good stuff. Everybody's got their niches, no matter what it is. But what are you doing to make it different? Or what can you do to make it different? The guy we're talking to today is an expert at taking any niche And just giving it that little extra to make it different, to make it pop, and to make it stand out. This guy has got a ton of energy. He has a great story. You're going to love this. Here we go. You're listening to That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan, the podcast that takes you inside all the aspects of the entertainment industry directly from the people who are making it happen. And now, your host, Thomas Jordan. What's going on, everyone? My name is Thomas Jordan, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Today, we're talking to Wade Holland. Wade is a host and a producer. He's also an adventure athlete, and he's gonna go into all of that. But we brought him here because he is a niche master, and he's gonna explain all that as well, Wade, what's going on, man?
1: Dude, I'm doing so well. Pumped to be talking with you since uh, this is where it actually all started with us.
0: I know. It's so crazy. But before we even get into that, I kind of want to know how you got started in the entertainment industry.
1: So yeah, I guess it all boils down to uh, probably YouTube and digital media. I uh, My background is adventure athlete, i'm an adventure athlete and uh, i got into digital content creation kind of right when youtube was starting out and um you know I, I essentially got into that because i realized i didn't want to uh beat my body up for the rest of my life i was a competitive freestyle mogul skier from montana came down to colorado was looking to ski for the university realized that uh, the sport had gone from NCAA down to a club sport. said, all right, that's not going to work. And I also, uh, yeah, like I said, wanted to have a, a body that I could use when I was uh, maybe 45 or 50, and, and mogul skiing beats the crap out of your knees. So then I said I, I kind of wanted to get more into telling those adventure stories and getting people excited about the, the world of adventure that I love so much. And uh, at that point, you know, I didn't have any experience with traditional uh, media, Hollywood, and especially not being in the traditional world, being in Colorado, YouTube was coming out. We said, let's make these adventure videos on our own. So we started a project where we went around the state of Colorado for 500 days. And every day we made a different video about kind of a unique local adventure. We made it all ourselves, taught ourselves how to shoot, edit, upload, market it. And it really was sort of the uh, the beginning stages of what's now uh, the, the world of content creation as we know it, um, with all the different social media apps and social media content creators. So it was, a, it, you know, it was a cool way to jump into it because it got me doing what I love, which is uh, getting people excited about the world of outdoor adventure. And, um, and yeah, it, it really just propelled me into uh, the profession that I'm doing now. And here we are talking.
0: And, and that's what I love is because you didn't go the traditional route. Like I went the traditional route. I had to figure out how to get to LA, how to get into entertainment news. And the way I did it was I did a bunch of research on, you know, other people who are hosting those type of shows. And they all said that they were in broadcast news for four plus years. So I was like, well, I guess I got to do that. Take my licks, learn as much as I can network, go to LA. Boom. There we go. Which is exactly what I did. But I mean, your way, I'm not going to lie. A little jealous. Sounds a lot more fun than what I was doing. Yeah,
1: I mean the thing with what I was doing, I'll be honest, I didn't really know what I was doing. I think with what we were doing at that time, um, it was sort of the resources we had available to us. And I got to give my my business partner at the time; he's just a, a very uh, savvy marketing individual, and he saw that there was uh, this thing YouTube that was starting to, to you know get some attention. At that point, you know things like I mean, Instagram, uh, certainly TikTok, none of that stuff existed. It was pretty much like Facebook was still relatively new, for God's sake. So it was, you know, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. And he thought, well, you know, this is a a unique platform. It's free to use. Why don't we just kind of make our own content here? And I wasn't even necessarily looking at getting into... The, the entertainment world. I was, you know, my background, I went to school for marketing and advertising. So my background being in, in that space, but also being an adventure athlete, I said, Oh, this is perfect. I can uh, create these stories and in, in content around the outdoors, the adventure world, get people excited about taking that, that in. Um, and we can do it ourselves. It might not be the most polished high end production, um, but that wasn't even the world that I was looking at getting into at that point. I was just looking at how can we create uh, more creative marketing material and video was an, was, it seemed to be a good way to do that. Um, and again, we were, you know, we were just out of college too, right? So we, we didn't have a lot of resources at our discretion. We were, uh, you know, truly living that, um, uh, ramen noodle life. (laughs) And it it, it worked out though for us because it taught us really quickly. I mean, when you put yourself in a situation where it's like, um, you know, you need to learn this right now because there's no one here to teach you. Even like YouTube tutorials were still kind of new then. So, um, you know, my business partner, he was awesome at just jumping in and he kind of, uh, started showing me that this is where things were moving And, uh, and we don't need any big production company to help us do it, especially in the social media world. Um, And then when people started watching it too, that's when we started saying, oh, cool. You know, people are actually taking our advice of checking out this local business or going to this uh, kind of off the beaten path place in Colorado. And that was our whole concept is showcasing local businesses, local places, uh, and then doing it at a, a, you know, kind of grassroots Um, independently, but then also getting local businesses involved uh, affordably. The the way we set the whole pricing structure up was uh, the day that we featured that business that day, that was the number they actually paid us. So on day one, the business paid us a dollar. Day two, $2. Day three, all the way up. So on day 45, I would go into a business and say, hey, uh, Joe's sandwiches (laughs) would you give me $45? We're going to make you a a three minute video talking about your business, but we're not going to do it in the traditional advertisement way. We're going to do a fun adventure at your, at your local sandwich shop, whether it's an eating contest, whether it's me delivering, uh, you know, footlong sandwiches on bicycle around the city, just kind of fun things that we could do with their sandwiches. Uh, For forty-five dollars, or whatever the day number was, so it was a way that we saw local businesses saying, "All right, we can't afford." You know, a local business isn't going to be able to afford a a ten-thousand-dollar production. Most of them aren't doing that. Um, You know, a lot of them are saying, "How can how can we get the most bang for our buck?" The hardest thing at that time was a lot of people didn't know what this was. They, we didn't even know exactly what we were doing. We, We, I mean, we did a little bit, but again, it was so new that we didn't know where it was going. We just knew that. It was a, a more uh, untapped area for businesses to advertise, and and it was fun. I mean, frankly, I just had a, we both had so much fun doing that because we were doing these kind of zany, wild adventures every day. And when people started watching it, local businesses were super stoked. They said, "This is great, you know for for a hundred and seven dollars, <laughs> I got this video that's amassing all these views, and people are talking about it." So it, it was kind of the early phases of like that. Um, you know, honestly, the social influence or the social currency that's attached to uh, a business's brand. So it was it was an awesome project, man. And, and, um, and the pricing model, like I said, helped us too, because who's going to pay a 22-year-old um, now? I think there's just more, there's, it's more credible. So if, if a 22-year-old has millions of followers, they could probably uh, do a lot more with that. But it, it, when we were doing this, we were just out of college. And so coming to a business saying, hey, can you give us You know, sixty-one dollars to make this video that we're gonna do. They were still kind of skeptical because it it didn't have the reputation that it does now. uh, Social media, I'm referring to. So, so yeah, it was it was a it was a little bit of a hurdle, but it was still more affordable than a lot of the more even like newspaper. You know, at that point, businesses were still looking at like the traditional, uh, way more traditional. So they said, well, sixty-one bucks for this. Unique video these college kids are, are going to make for me, or I pay you know a few hundred bucks to go in this newspaper. What the heck? Let's try it. Uh, and so it was. It got us a lot of content by a hundred day. A hundred we had a hundred videos, and we could show you know proof of concept. Take a look at these other videos we did, and it had results for the businesses. And that whole project over five hundred days sparked my entire interest in the world of digital marketing, digital video. Uh, and just getting creative with with telling stories and uh, creating content.
0: Man, even thinking about it now and listening to it, it's still to me just like absolute genius. Like it's creative. I mean, it, the the cost of entry is so low. The fact that like I love everything about it. The fact that you had to basically learn how to shoot, write, edit, market, and like you said, it was you were doing what everybody's doing now years before. So I love that. And I know good things don't last forever. So what ended up happening with this concept?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So really, after the 500 days, um, it's, I don't want to say it's a sore subject, it's not a sore subject, but I definitely have some, I think, regrets on what I could have, what we could have done with it in hindsight. Um, ultimately, after the 500 days, you know, at that point, we had um, a plethora of brands that we had worked with. We had even the, the um, you know, state of Colorado tourism we were working with. So we had a, a, a bunch of tourism partners and in, in products and whatnot. It was awesome. But where it went from there was ultimately how do we proceed after 500 days? Cause it was kind of a, you know, it was, it was, it was a timeline after 500 days, that was the project. That's what we were pitching. We were saying, we're going to do this for 500 days now. We're at a point of saying, do we do another 500 days and go to California for 500 days? Do we go to Montana for 500 days? Do we keep this brand as what it is? Um, You know, again, we didn't fully know where this was going, what the trends were going to be with digital media, um, and especially looking back at it now, I'm just kicking myself in the butt because it's like, oh my God, we, were, we definitely were way ahead of the curve with what we were doing. Um, we had some interest from, a local, uh, from an advertising agency out in Colorado that said, hey, we see what you guys are doing with digital video. This is really cool. We want to pull you on as our marketing arm uh, my business partner at the time also, his, his interests and my interests were a little bit different. He s- wanted to take what we had done and morph it more really traditional, make it more uh, advertising agency. We both came from kind of marketing advertising backgrounds. Um, I really uh, still to this day align more with some of the grassroots stuff. I think that's where so many cool things start. And, 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 I, and my whole thing is keeping it, trying to keep it, uh as original and and authentic grassroots feel that's what people love to see and I think that's why we we did so well for 500 days is people saw these weren't these really weren't marketing videos we were making they were entertainment videos that had a marketing play so that's where my interest was his interest was a little bit more like I said traditional advertising he wanted to morph it into a uh um, just more of a, a kind of an ad agency in some way, and once a local agency in Colorado had interest with it and said, "Hey, we want to essentially pick you guys up, pull you on to our team, um, buy out what you, you, the audience you have right now, and then pull you on as uh, the kind of digital video arm of our company." Um, and I was doing all the sales for the the Adventures Five Hundred, so I was the one out on the grounds talking to businesses. So, we had a proof of concept that we could get, you know, between uh, Ryan who was my business partner, between he and I, uh, we could create an audience, we could get brands involved. So, they wanted to pull that on and then continue that same model. The problem is, once we moved more, once we morphed into their agency, it became just more marketing videos. So, the exact thing that I think sold these videos from the start kind of kind of ended because then the videos were were frankly just marketing videos we were doing for a marketing advertising agency and the audience and people saw that right away and you know you can sniff that out pretty quickly and and the the concept became different it wasn't 500 it wasn't hey the adventurous 500 because people were tuning in to see oh they're on day 345 like what are they going to do tomorrow it was so much content so um in such a short amount of time. I mean, in a year and a half, we had 500 videos. So people were were very engaged. But once the 500 timeline ended, then it just became, oh, these these are other marketing video marketers just putting out content um, without a, a story or without that why behind it. Um, so ultimately, yeah, as a, a, you know, moving into, I guess, more on like a a a professional job we had after that you know my parents were excited about it at the time because they're like wow this is great you started this uh kind of grassroots marketing thing and at that time too my parents had no idea what this digital video stuff was really like I I think the older generation was like what are you guys really doing where is this gonna go because you know if we didn't have the foresight of you know what the digital video realm was going to turn into certainly the older generations didn't and so at least i don't want to generalize that but a lot of people in that realm i think were uh just trying to figure out what was happening so once we moved into that um it was it was i don't know i don't want to look at it negatively because it was a win in the sense hey man look what we accomplished and now we kind of graduated to this next level and that's all great but I ultimately was not, number one, happy with uh, my work, you know, what we were doing. That wasn't where my passion was at. I realized, I think it took uh, uh, an event or a move like that to happen for me to realize that this isn't what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about like truly creating on the ground content creation um, and, and getting into a more like, you know, traditional job, if you will, that was probably one of the first times that I said, okay, I don't think this is the route for me. I don't think this is for me. And um, Interestingly enough, when I was kind of going through all that, because I worked at this agency uh, for probably I don't even know, maybe a year or less, six months to a year, but in that time frame that's when I got casted to be on this adventure reality TV show on TNT and I think that was my nudge. I really believe that Like, you know, wherever you stand spiritually, I think the universe uh, or the higher powers can send you signals. And if you pay attention, those are things that are nudging you one way or the other. And I I got casted onto this adventure reality TV show. And that was really what I needed to say, oh, yeah, like getting back out there and, uh, you know, whether it's personality hosting adventure work, whether it's actual content creation, that's what I love, man. The thrill and the adventure of that stuff alone gets me off more than just the, the, the stability of a, tr- a regular job. So ultimately, all that started from the Adventures 500, moving into this advertising agency, then getting back out of it and <laughs> getting onto this adventure reality show, it, it's been an interesting journey. And, uh, and it, it, everything, you know, are, are, they're all stepping stones to, uh, to your whole, your whole story. And, and, um, it's led us to meeting you right now, Thomas. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy.
0: It is crazy because D de- and I can tell, cause I think whether it's you or anybody who's in the entertainment industry or any industry for that matter, I feel like, cause I'm right there with you, like, as far as from a spiritual aspect, like everything kind of happens for a reason. And it took a long time to realize that. And even what you're saying, cause like, I know like it's there, like I'm bitter about Los Angeles. Like I know you're kind of bitter about or bitter, just, you know, like eh, about how, you know, things went down with like the YouTube channel and things like that. And it's just like, we get caught up on it, but it's like it, like you just said that what happened with the YouTube channel because you so, you sold it right you ended up selling it
1: yeah i mean after that essentially uh, our audience more or less dissolved because it turned in it went into the agency the concept turned into, from the Adventurous 500 the website turned to the adventured.com mm-hmm. instead of the adventures500.com and then after that it just wasn't there really was no interest um, to continue it and and it's all hindsight man like looking back at that I wish I would have just essentially bought out uh, my partner from that site, the adventure, and then I or even the adventurous 500. And then I would have just continued. I think the way to have done it would have honestly just been continuing the 500 model. You could do 500 days in all these different States, 500 days in different countries. and, And especially now where the travel adventure space is way more crowded than it was then that would have just been a great way to further carve out the adventure travel niche. When at that time, most of the stuff you were seeing was like travel channel, discovery channel, but there wasn't a whole lot carved out in a, in a, a more unique way on the digital stuff. You, know? you, you, you started to see some of these travel vloggers, but a real model or a series that we had developed that really didn't exist then. And so looking back at it, that's the only reason I, I kind of kicked myself in the butt of being like, gosh, dang, man, I wish I would have seen where things were moving or had the foresight to say, just keep doing this, keep doing this. It's going to lead to where the industry will start moving. Uh, but I just I just didn't, you know? And, and I think my, my business partner had a little bit of that insight, but our goals weren't the same. He wanted to move it into a more traditional space because he wanted... You know, his goal was he wanted to work in uh, traditional advertising. And so once there was an advertising agency actually interested in picking it up, then we instantly instantly it was more for him to say, this is the opportunity we've been waiting for. And at at the same time, when you're 22 or 23, man, you're you're just (laughs) excited that you're getting that kind of attention and you're seeing some early success. That was awesome. Um, It's just, you know, I, I think it was very premature on what the success could have been. If we would just would have continued to do it independently, um, and you hear about those stories in other in other fields, man, you know, like you know, even and I'm a fan of Macklemore. Look at look at him, man. He was doing it grassroots for so long, and he he continued to do it grassroots and didn't sign with a major label. He just did it indie and put it out himself, and now he and then he became one of the biggest, you know, our artists in, in in general, not even just in hip hop and rap. So. I don't know. I, I, I sometimes have regrets. I You can talk to my girlfriend, Abby, about it because she, <laughs> so from time to time, I'll go off. But at the end of the day, man, you, you can't do that. And I have to pull myself back and say, hey, there really is no serious loss here, man. You know, it taught me so much and it really redirected my passion. It showed me, when we were doing the Adventures 500, I was just trying to figure out what it is that I'm passionate about and I want to do for a career and with my profession. I was... I was just out of college and so many college kids I know are like, what do I do next? Where do I go? Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to be in a position where I was kind of learning that through, it was almost like a, uh, a real life internship, if you will, you know?
0: Except you were getting paid and getting to work with brands. Like I said before, that's what like everybody wanted to do. You guys were crushing it. And that's what I love the most. And I honestly believe, like I truly wholeheartedly believe that, you know, to kind of go back to what we were saying is that, you know, things happen for a reason. Like you said, after that went down, you know, you got your reality show and you did that. And then it really, that was the kick in the pants. And now you know what not to do in the future. So I think it protects you in that. But uh, real quick, how um what stop or yeah, what's stopping you from doing another show just like that because we've talked a couple times and you I feel like you just come up with these things and it's just you're just go like you that's what I like like you you don't think about it too often you're like I like this idea I can get behind this idea let's go what's stopping you from doing another show just like this
1: it's a good question I, I think right now is time that concept I think is still viable and I would love to maybe you know at like a at a 10 year anniversary, which I guess is probably coming up really soon. <laughs> maybe it's like the next year. Uh, it's, but maybe I'm like, a, you know, at a, at a time when I can invest enough um, energy into that, I 100% would do that. Where I'm at now is I wanna make sure that what I'm putting my time into, I'm giving it the appropriate energy and attention it needs because you're right i think something that i is a part of who i am is i have a lot of ideas i'm always thinking of things um, that get me interested how can i create content around that and um, and i have a varied in, i have varied interests too you know and that's something i've honestly struggled a little bit with of getting spread too thin trying to do too much saying i'll, I'll touch my t- put my toe in here i'll put my toe in here and i'll just i'll do it all but unfortunately what i've seen is that has been a little bit of uh, a struggle for me because then I, I don't allow any of it to truly manifest or or develop it, it, in an appropriate way so with the adventurous 500 yeah man I, I would love to do something like that again there's no reason why that can't happen in a couple of years or, or I don't know what the timeline is but that, that's not going anywhere I think um, I think especially right now with you know having, kind of a unique story or a unique angle in what you're doing is obviously more important than ever. Uh, The Adventurous 500, I still stand behind the message of what it was. It was, it really supported local too, that idea of, you know, getting local brands. I mean, shoot, man, maybe right now is the time to do it because especially with the COVID-19 stuff, like local businesses are more, are more at risk than anything. And, and, um, and they probably are looking for a unique way to advertise themselves. So, I don't know, man. Maybe we maybe we
0: start it up right now. You're
1: getting me going on it. Um, But yeah, I I would like to do it again at some point. And the local tie, the uh, truly getting out and finding an adventure anywhere in your in your neighborhood—that was a huge component to it. And I still stand behind that. I don't think you have to go climb Mount Everest to have an adventure. I think you can you find a a unique angle in your or a unique adventure in your in your neighborhood—a person, a place, a thing, an activity. There's always kind of cool ways and fun ways of doing stuff that you weren't thinking about it before. So I I think the adventure 500 can resurface again. Um, but like I said, I just want to make sure I have a handful of other, um, kind of series and, and developed concepts that I'm already working on. And I want to really give those a strong push first before I just add anything else to the plate.
0: No, I totally, I totally get it. And I think everybody gets caught in that. Uh, it's like this weird when you're, I don't know maybe maybe it's just me but what I've heard and what I've experienced is with all the let's just say there's 7 or 10 platforms or whatever if you're on all of them like I get it like, you know, you want to be seen everywhere, but it's like, where do you like put all your time into? Cause it's like, you know, the famous saying, you know, a Jack of all trades is the master of none, even though there's ways now to distribute content and everything. Like I had to pull myself back and I know you're trying to figure it out too, because like I have stopped basically on Instagram. And when I tell people that they're like, Oh my God. But it's like, I'm not passionate about Instagram. I like Mm -hmm. YouTube and podcasting. Like love podcasting love this like I already know it like we could talk forever we have talked forever but it's like it's (laughs) same with video like I like being on camera too so it's like those are the two like where I'm kind of living like it's trying something new like we're about the same age we're trying new stuff like we'll see what works that's the thing I feel like also we're in a damn hurry to get this done And but there's like millions of reasons for that too but I kind of like you said you've got to figure out what you want to do you've got to kind of like go with it and just see what happens. And to be honest with you, I just came up with an idea, like as we were kind of like bouncing ideas off as far as like a little show idea, I just came up with one. We'll have to talk about that off camp or off podcast because it kind of ties into your old show and maybe a new show. Mm. So like, I'd be curious to your thoughts, but we'll, we'll have to chat about that later. Um, but, and that's another thing, like, And even I said it in the beginning, you are, I feel like you are very good about finding crowded niches and then finding that micro niche, that little twist that makes it interesting. And you've got a project now that you're kind of working on. I know it's kind of in the midst right now. There's like some, like the wheels are turning and I just kind of want you to talk about it a little bit and kind of tell me where you came up with it.
1: I guess the question is which one are we the the about? Um, yeah, I the
0: uh, the one with the uh, I'm just gonna say parents.
1: Oh yeah, for sure, man. Okay, that is definitely one I've been I've been chis- chiseling away at for the past. Really, I mean, you could probably boil it down to almost my whole life, but definitely the past couple of years, I've really been putting focus into it because it ties in uh, my my dad and I's relationship. Um, I'm lucky enough to so I grew up in Montana and I grew up in a very kind of adventure outdoors family. Uh, my sister was a, a professional free skier um, and my dad has just been kind of a kind of an OG mountain man uh, <laughs> who used to be a, a physician on a Native American. Reservation in Montana in the seventies, and kind of just a Chuck Norris kind of guy. A lot of people call him that, just because he he really is such a um such a legendary outdoor kind of guy. Um, and, and my whole life, he was a he still is a huge hero and mentor of mine. So over the years, we've been doing all these. He got me into the outdoors. He he helped me find my my true passion and love for that world, but the thing about my dad is he's always been a guy to not just go on a casual bike ride or just go on a, a, a little run in the park. He's this guy that will go way off the beaten path and, um, do it for the sake of kind of the unique novelty of the adventure. But then also, uh, he's, he's very big into, uh, frontier history. So we would go into these places and discover, and, and look for things that maybe no one had ever been to before because he um you know he's a huge fan of lewis and clark and so he he studied all these old frontier journals he's kind of a <clears throat> an amateur historian as well so we would go into these backwood places and find um, really like old artifacts and um almost like treasures. He really was like an Indiana Jones kind of dad in a way. So that was the guy that, that raised me with getting into the outdoors. Um, and over the years I started realizing how special that is and how unique that was. So I just started turning on a camera and saying, hey, you know, I'm gonna just shoot some of the stuff that my dad and I are out doing, whether that's, um, you know, <laughs> searching for uh, hidden waterways uh, with unique little fishing holes and you have to, uh, get off the, the trail and go down into this ravine. And then there's like a, uh, a, 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 like a sign on a, a wall that someone had painted hundreds of years ago, like that kind of stuff, man. He, he finds these things that almost no one knows about. So for my whole life, that's what we were doing. And I said, I'm just going to kind of record some of our experiences. And, um, you know, really crudely put together a a couple of videos, put it out there. And it was really cool to see people's response to that stuff and say, Hey, this is a very unique relationship that you and your dad have. And it took that for me to realize this is a unique relationship. And more than that, how special is it that, uh, you know, this kind of relationship exists with a, a father and a son, a father and a daughter. And it really made me say, I want to show more of that, and I, I don't want to ask people out there, hey, is there, are there other people that have relationships like this? And I, I started getting feedback from people across the country saying, hey, my dad and I do this, or, um, you know, and, we do, and it might not even be in the outdoor adventure realm. Hey, my dad and I are real estate investors in New York, and I don't see many people that have uh, a really positive, healthy relationship from, uh, with, with their fathers, but I found you, and this is so cool. I'm so engaged with this because I can relate on the relationship level. And that was what sparked the interest for me to say, yeah, you know, dads and sons, dads and daughters, you don't hear much about that. And if you do hear about it, it sometimes is in more of a uh, kind of the over-drama- over-dramatized negative light. Um, and instead, the the positive stories that come from that and the the knowledge, like the generational passing down of knowledge from Uh, one, one era to another. And that is kind of the core essentials of this series. Um, And and like I said, pulling in people from really around the world that can relate to that and, and get to hear more of those stories.
0: Like I said, I wish you could talk more about because I just I love the concept and you even mentioned it. It was it's more of a positive thing because you see reality now reality TV show and what it, TV shows and what it's become with families and things like that. It's all you know, It I call it trash reality TV, but it's one of those things mm-hmm. like I admit I can't look away either. Um, but with your dad, so how does he does he is he aware that he is a mixture of Indiana Jones and Chuck Norris
1: <laughs> He kind of knows he's he's the most humble guy in the world he comes from an era where it's like you, you know you didn't talk about your your abilities and your strengths you just showed them and you walked the walk and so he's he's a true man's man you know and so he he doesn't, um, yeah. He doesn't. He, until recently, he never showed a lot of emotion. You know, like even growing up, he was a really stern, kind of strict, disciplinary father. And this this project that I'm working on has been special for me because it's even brought more emotion out of him. And it's really cool to see that. You know, as a growing up as a kid, I didn't experience as much. I mean, he wasn't like some cold father. He was very, he was very <laughs> loving. But he just it was more of a, you know, kind of a a. a he came from a blue collar family. So it was like a blue collar man's man, if you can envision that kind of guy. They don't show a lot of emotion. And, um, you know, he just was a, a super, um, you know, legendary outdoors guy who had a lot of, uh, you know, he was very gritty, but he never talked about that. He just went out and did it. And And the friends I had growing up, they knew, they said, wow, your dad is unreal like who is this guy man he's he's kind of just a a, a local it's almost like a folklore folklore hero if you will and and the funny thing about it is that's like those are his passions you know his passions are those guys from the 1800s the mountain men um like if you remember the the movie the revenant with leonardo DiCaprio, yeah. um that character that leonardo DiCaprio plays hugh glass that i'd learned about hugh glass when i was eight years old, man, because my dad was telling me all these mountain man stories and folklore heroes of that time. And he, he, I think looked up to those guys. I think my dad is almost maybe born in the wrong era. Like he, if he could have, he probably would have been born in the like frontier, uh, late 1800s era because he just loved the stories and grit that those guys had to, uh, survive and, and make it in harsh conditions and the elements and so it's just funny because when that movie, The Revenant came out, I said, oh yeah, I know all about this guy. Like my dad has taken me to some of those sites and I know about that stuff. And I think the older I got, the more I appreciated him for such a, uh, just a special, uh, unique character. And I don't know anyone else in the world that's like him. Um, but even more than that, you know, the, the he's a really good father. He's a good dad. He's a good husband. He's a good man. And that is what I've always picked up too, is saying, I want to, I want to pass those traits down to to my future kids or to other people in the world. And especially the media that you see coming out from uh, what you're getting from dads, you don't hear that message as much. And, um, and I know my dad's not the only one out there like that. I just am lucky enough to have a dad like that. But there's probably a lot of people out there that a, would, would want to hear about or see or have a father relationship like that, or there are people that already have those relationships. And I want to spread that message. I want people to hear more about that because um, I think as a society, that's just going to help uh, in a general sense for for future generations.
0: No, I, I agree 100% more positivity for sure. Out of all the episodes that you guys have shot and everything like that, what would you say the most special moment you guys have shared is so far?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually a really tough question because there's so many places and things he's taken me to that have tied into his own history. I think the things that tap into, um, that tap into our family history and our things that, uh, are a part of his own story are really cool for me. Cause then it, it gives me a glimpse into who he was before I was even in the picture. So we did a, we actually did a feature. Um, and this one was cool because we, we did have, um, some other people involved. The, the folks over at Matador network and travel Nevada got behind the the story. And it was all about retracing some of the original steps of where my mom and dad met. And then, uh, more than that, of that location where they met, which was in Nevada in the 70s, a 100 years before that, in the 1870s, our great-great-grandparents were silver miners, and that's where a lot of our family history ties into. And so it was really cool to step back into, uh, again, kind of the Old West, which is 100% would. It was what my dad loves. So we learned a little bit about the unique mining history out in Virginia city, Nevada, and how our relatives played a part in that story. But then also out in the 1970s, where, uh, he met my mom in a little bit of his, uh, explorations in, uh, in that part of the world during that time. So we literally retraced and we had all these old photographs, um, they had when when they were out there, and then we went to those exact locations and kind of took new photos, which was sort of a fun comparative, you know, side by side, um, and then just learned a little bit about you know how he met my mom and how that story developed, and it was cool to um, put myself try to put myself in his shoes because that is a time if I could if I could you know if you could step back in time and, and see an event, I, I really would love to see like the first encounter that my mom and dad had and what he said to her uh i hear some stories but it'd be really cool to see that so you know going back and and trying to uh bring that to life as much as i could for my own sake that was that was really cool and uh it was fun to to see other people kind of find an interest you know we at the, the, the very end of that episode we flew my mom out to surprise him at this, at this bar. She used to be a a bartender out in the 1970s in, in Reno, Nevada. So we flew my mom out to surprise him. And at the very last scene, you know, he was reflecting on the whole trip and didn't know, you know, that she was there. And then she came out of the back of the bar served us drinks and he definitely got really emotional. And that's when he kind of lost it and was like, Oh my goodness, this is, it's all connecting the dots now. And that was really cool to see that, you know, for me, it was, it was definitely one of the more special moments.
0: That's awesome. And did you just, out of kid, did you get that on camera? <laughs>
1: like, oh, definitely. We got it on camera and that was the nice thing. You know, I'm, I'm super grateful and shout out to Matador and travel Nevada because they helped that come. They helped make that Come to life, and and if it was just me, you know, when I was shooting some of these original dad ventures uh, of just me shooting it. It was literally just with like a GoPro. I'd be out doing this stuff, shooting my dad and I, or um, you know, just sort of the uh, the cheap camera that I was working with at the time, or it was a buddy that I pulled on, and then he took one of my cameras to shoot it. But it was super, uh, you know low profile. There's no way I could have shot the piece. I'm telling you now that when we brought my mom out to surprise him in Nevada, like there's no way I could have done that on my own. So the fact that we had, um, a little bit more production involved in it, it was, it allowed us to capture those epic moments of surprise and, um, and, and allowed us to, to kind of tap into all those special places uh, and, and capture those moments appropriately. So it was, it was awesome, man. That was, that was one. It's out there, so you can go on online and find it. I'm sure if you just go to YouTube um, and type in "dad ventures," it's probably one of the first things that comes up, or, or just like "dad ventures Nevada." Um, it's out there. It's on Matadors. I think online too. So yeah, it's there. You can see
0: it all. Yeah. We'll put it in the uh, description for sure. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about too, um, was you like, not only are you a master at finding a niche and just finding that little crevice of like how to make it that much different, especially with all the noise out there, you're actually getting paid by brands to do such things. And I just kind of want to know what your process is when now, when you're approaching brands to do paid video content?
1: Yeah, I, I always like to kind of scan the landscape, see what's out there. I, I consume a, a pretty good amount of content too. And I think that's important because then it gives you an idea of like what's out there, what's being done. And then I, I think for me, I'm always looking at, you know, what would, um, A, what would I like to see, which can be a problem at times because there's other times I have to realize, okay, just because this is what I want to see, maybe it's too niche and too weird for people to actually want to watch it. Um, So I have to take that into consideration. But I I do see what's out there. Take a step back and say, what would be a fun spin on that? um, and, And then kind of try to, you know, morph content around a creative angle. And I think there's... Is even though people say, you know, like there's so much content out there, which is true, you know, compared to when I was doing this like literally almost a decade ago when it was far less crowded, um, there's still so many ways to kind of have your own spin on things. I think that's the human element behind it, right? Like there's always uh, a way that humans can say, all right, well, this is my experience and this is what is so interesting to me. Now I'm going to dive further into that and, and morph it into something that I haven't seen before. Um, and that's always been an approach kind of a, of, uh, of everything that I've done because number one, I, I, I think that's just more interesting, period. I mean, you, you want to create content that that is not just run of the mill, the same stuff you see over and over again. Um, sometimes that doesn't work out because it's just like, it doesn't hit. People are like, what is that? Why That was kind of bizarre or random or like it, did, it just didn't connect. So it's a lot of trial and error too. But I think if you keep doing that, you're eventually going to find something that, uh, that really does hit and say, oh, that's a, a unique take that I haven't seen before. Um, and with brands, I think it's important to look at like, number one, approaching the right kind of brand. You know, if you approach a brand that it's such a outlandish kind of zany concept, but that's just not what they're about. Well, they're for sure going to be like, that's not proven. It's, it's a little too risky for us. So look for what these brands are currently doing and then maybe take it a couple notches past that, not take it to a 10 for them. Um, For me, a lot of the stuff that I do is a little bit more zany and playful and silly at times and so a a lot of the brands i have worked with have that component a part of them so it's less of a stretch for me to approach them and say hey here's an idea and they can get behind it quicker um so i think it's important yeah to see what's already out there what the brand is uh is stands behind is what's part of their uh part of their message and then craft your own. I think everyone has kind of their unique angle, right? And figure out what that is. And that takes time. I'm still trying to chisel away and dive into like, what is it that makes my stuff so different and so unique um, in a space that's already pretty crowded? Uh, And it, it, yeah, it's, it's a process. Um, And the more you chisel away at it, I think the better you get. So yeah, over the past year, I don't know, Jesus, I guess 10 years, I've been kind of figuring out more and more of what it is that, is, uh, my strong suits.
0: Have you figured out where your zone of genius and your strong, strong suits come? Like for me, I've gotten a little bit more self-aware and for whatever reason, if I'm on a treadmill or I'm on a walk, that's where my brain, or if I'm driving, that's where my brain just starts to go a million miles an hour. And I'm coming up with like concepts for stuff that I haven't thought about in years. Um, so for you, have you found like where you get your like best ideas yet?
1: Yeah, 100%. It is when I'm outside doing adventurous stuff or just recreating outside for that matter. What you said, it rings true to me too, man. When you say that you're getting these creative ideas and getting inspired when you're on a treadmill, you're on a run or a walk, I think that's, you could probably boil that down to just um, your mind's working a little bit faster because you're getting, you know, they always say recreation or working out you know sparks creativity because you're getting uh dopamine uh, you know your mind's firing more you're getting happier and i find that to be so true because when i'm outside i am happier um you know my my brain is in a better spot because like i said i'm getting a little dopamine hits and then i'm saying oh, okay cool i feel more relaxed my mind can um Kind of open up a little bit, and then same thing too. I start running on these ideas, and like dots start connecting more. It starts leading from A to B, all the way down to Z, and it's cool. I I I think you definitely need to find that place. You're you're spot on, man. Like when you find your zone and what works best, um you got to go to that. And so for me, like I have to be uh doing something active and specifically outside. If I can be outside being active, I'm in a better. I'm in a better mood. I get more creative. And it's just overall well-being.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I've got, I've had to start uh, carrying around a notebook. Like I can't even, people are like, why don't you just do voice messages or just write it down in your reminders? I'm like, nah, I got to go old school. Like I've got pages and like notebooks full of stuff that one day I feel like, you know, for a rainy day, you know, once you, you know, you start creating all these shows and, you know, getting like just more money than you know what to do with It's like, oh hey, see what's in the book. It's like, you know, yeah. it, it's like in water it's like down the road. It's like a, TV producers are going to be begging to get Thomas Jordan's book. Nah, Thomas Jordan and Wade Hollins. You know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> I love it, dude. Yeah. I think that's great though. Right. I'm with you on that too. Like writing it down, you know, there's something about that too. When you're like writing it down, it connects it more versus just, Hey, I'm going to do it. Like you said, I'm going to do a voice message or I'm just gonna, I don't know, record this another way. But when you actually take a pen to paper it somehow sticks a little bit more and you're more engaged with it, I think. Because I do the same thing too. I have a little... Adventure outdoor notepad I take with me. Yeah. And
0: no, I honestly, like, I've had to start taking it with me because what'll happen is like I'll get so charged up and so excited. Like, as soon as I write it down, I feel like I have to almost write it down to like calm myself down because my brain totally. is just like on mental overload. But before I forget, um, when you're reaching out to brands, because I know a lot of people, you know, there's so many creators, when you're reaching out to brands, like, after you find like kind of your angle that you want to take are you reaching out to the marketing department and how are you pitching them
1: that's also a good question you definitely want to of course find the decision makers and you want to find the people you want to find the people that are going to be open to hearing you out um i think the beauty with today's world is so much of that information is just available and it's out there sometimes you can just you know go right onto Instagram, send, you can DM them. I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about that all the time, right? Like if you send a hundred DMs out, you may get one person or no people to respond to you, but you're not going to know if you don't try. So I, I would say, um, be weary of just blasting first, find If you can, try to find the person, like you said, the marketing directors, people in marketing with that organization, whether that's on LinkedIn, um, you could even do a simple Google search and type in, you know, marketing director for this brand. Sometimes the email will actually come up. Um, But a lot of times too, if you can't find it, just go to their social media page, reach out. Sometimes I've done that before, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't work, but there's other times where a brand is paying attention and they'll see the message they'll look at what you're doing and if they like it i've had brands reach back out to me and say hey we love what you're doing this is cool uh let's set up a time to talk here's an email or a phone number and let's connect that way so i think the the number one thing is just start reaching out because the worst thing you can do is not do it at all and just wait for people to come to you because that's just not going to happen um and if and if you find the it just takes one person right you find the one person you really connect with and um and the next thing you know that starts to snowball and that person uh, loves what you're doing they refer a brand and so it it all starts with reaching out and the tools are out there today um and it's it's persistence right we you and i've talked about this it's a it's a marathon not a sprint so if you reach out to a hundred people and no one gets back to you well reach out to another hundred people, <laughs> you know, like it's, it, it just depends, you know, how persistent in, in, a, in passion you are about doing it. Because I think that's the, uh, that's the gatekeeper that a lot of people get frustrated with is, all right, well, and I still do too, you know, I'll reach out to people, not hear anything. And, uh, that's just part of the, that's part of the process. You know, uh, I, I, it is, it is the long term and not the short term. And, um, yeah, and it's, it, it takes time.
0: And when you, you know, let's just say you get a hold of like a marketing director, do you typically have to put a pitch deck together? Or is it like, hey, let's set up a time to talk? Uh, what what are your ideas? Do they typically pick your brain? Or do you kind of pitch them over the phone? How does that usually work for you?
1: Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. You, I've never found it to be effective to just reach out with nothing and say, hey, would love to work with you. Like everyone wants to work with a brand, you know, like don't just approach them with nothing. You have to bring value to them and have something for them that they say, wow, that's unique or that's different. That's cool. I haven't heard of that. I see how we can benefit from this because at the end of the day, like you're reaching out to a brand because you want to partner with them so You know, you're coming to them. You need to have something that they can have a takeaway from it. So first off, if I'm reaching out to a brand, yeah, I, I don't, you don't necessarily have to have an entire pitch deck developed for it, but at least have a general idea of what you're doing and how this is going to help them and, and hit them with that immediately because then they'll see that all right this person's thinking this through more than just hey they want to work with us and they want to uh, get paid to make a video for us or whatever that may be so I always think starting with that get them get a, give them a hook or something that pulls them in and then you can decide where the conversation goes right if, you, if it looks like hey this brand's really interested in what this is then the next step would be yes build out a pitch deck make it a little bit more um a, a professional uh you know piece that you can give to them but I'll, i you can start with a pitch deck but i think you it might be a little premature because you want to see if the brand is engaged with you what you you're doing who what your brand is what you bring to the table and then you can kind of get to the next level and um, and, and build out the concept more with what that partnership may
0: look like. And what happens like, okay, let's just say you're working with said company, they approve it and, you know, they want to talk more. How does it work with the, uh, as far as the budget and getting actually getting paid to work with them?
1: Yeah, it's a great question too. You know, I think the conversation first off should be, um, you know, just the, the question people miss a lot of the times is just asking, you know, what is your budget for something like this? Um, because that varies so much, you know, you could be going anywhere from $5 to $5,000 to $50,000. It goes, you know, all over the board. And so I think you want to establish what you're trying to do. You should have an idea of what, you know, your rate would be to make something like that and what, what you would um, uh, appropriately um, charge for it. But at the end of the day, you know, I think the value that you bring to them should significantly exceed what dollar amount that that you're thinking should come from that because you want to establish the relationship and get that partnership moving. I, I think a lot of times people, you know, o- uh, overlook that piece of it is, you know, you you hit them with a number that's just so high and then it, the, the relationship doesn't... Uh, manifest into anything, you want to get the relationship going. Like, and especially if you're confident with what your work is and and what you can do, um, you know, engaging them first off is the, is, is the biggest thing. And so asking the question of, you know, what kind of budget do you have to do something like this? That's a question that just, it's, and it's always a, um, the tricky, tricky thing because people say like, Oh, I, you know, it's hard to, it is, you know, when you start talking money, people get a little, uh, tense up and they say, okay, I don't really know what I should ask. Am I just like, you know, throwing darts at a wall? Hopefully something hits, you know, just have a conversation and ask them and they'll say, Hey, we, um, that was something that I think I learned a long time ago, instead of just guessing and spending weeks and weeks and saying, all right, well, I'm going to, Try this number, and then they come back to me with a different number. Like, avoid that whole playing chicken thing, and just ask. Say, "What could you do?" You know, they have to see your work. Show, "Hey, here's an example of something that I've done. Here's what my idea would be. Is this something you're interested in? If it's a yes, then okay, cool. We'd love to talk with you more about that. <clears throat> what is what kind of budget does your does your marketing team or what marketing dollars could you put behind something like this? And and see if it if it's if if it's totally you know, not going to work because you guys are on just two different ends and that's just what it is. But most of the time you'll find that if, if a brand's interested in working with you because they believe in you and your content, then, um, there's usually a way you can make it work.
0: And if you get the approval, let's just say, all right, uh, you know, Mr. Jordan, Mr. Holland, we, you know, we have a budget of 50 grand. Like that's, that's what, that, that being said, we get the, we get the budget, We do a happy dance, probably a backflip because that's a lot of money. Um, (laughs) Double backflip. Yeah. Yeah. So, what, like, how much of that would you say goes into, like, actually producing the actual content? And then how much you would get paid? How does, how would you split that up?
1: Yeah. I think that's a piece that people, uh, people across the board brands, as well as the creators, uh, under value is there's so much work that's going into, you know, the pre-production and, and development of what you're doing. Um, it's not just, you're turning on a camera and you're pushing a record and then there's the video. Obviously there's the post-production piece, but you know, a lot of the development, <clears> the <throat> lot of development costs that, that go into it, you know, that has to be, accounted for in the final budget. So if, if they give you a $50,000 budget, well, number one, you want to make sure that you're appropriately bringing that amount of value or, or more. You know, I always say that, like um, under-promise and, and over delivery. So if they're giving you, they say, hey, we would love to work with you. You know, we could put this amount of uh, dollar to a concept like this. Then, you know, bring them... <clears throat> Seventy-five thousand, a hundred thousand, whatever it is, bring them way more value than they were expecting. But just know that the cost that's going into it, there is a heavy amount of that is development cost, and I think that's a piece that people. Um, I don't know what the percentage would maybe be, but certainly over, uh, you know, over I would say over fifty percent. You know, you're that. That's the real the specialty, right? Like anyone, not anyone, but there's so many people that can make video. You know, like creating beautiful video is, is a skill for sure. But I think the stuff that's really invaluable is the intellectual creative that goes into it. And that's a lot of the pre-production that you're bringing to the table. Um, and again, it depends project to project, right? Like if you're just shooting a, a video that is, uh, Hey, I'm just going to show your product in a very commercial style way. Like that's what that is. Then there's naturally not going to be as much, uh, upfront cost that's being developed into the pre-production. But if it's a full on concept into more of a series where you're going to be doing all these different things that tie in different characters and it has more of a message, well then yeah, that's, that's, that's more of a, a original novel concept, you know?
0: Yeah. No, it's yeah. And it's so interesting. Yeah. It's you hit the nail on the head for sure. Um, and I want to be respectful of your time and everything. And I definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk to us in my audience about everything. And I'm sure your audience will appreciate it too. Um, yeah,
1: it's great, man. Thanks for having me on too. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: And one last question, if somebody came up to you and was like, Wade, I love what you do. I have seen all your stuff on YouTube. I think you're great. I kind of, I want to do what you do what would be your one piece of advice to them?
1: I would say start creating right now, (laughs) like start making anything. You know, I think that's, that's the benefit of, you know, now versus 20 years ago or even less, you know, 10 years ago. I don't know. Then it was like, Hey, I want to be making video. I want to do that. Well, there were more, uh, there was more of a script that you had to go by to do that, whether that's you have to move out to Los Angeles and then you have to um, work at this company and then you have to do this. It's nowadays, I mean, you know, you were telling me about this uh, guy in Montana on his ranch, who's making this YouTube content and he's just crushing it and that shows you right there. Like, there's a, there's an older gentleman in Montana who's just apparently loves making content about being on a ranch. And that would never have been possible in the past. And, and that's, I think one of the strongest pieces of, um, of advice is just start making it because you can do it. You don't need an expensive camera. You know, we're actually, we're going to do a, a little camp on this at one point, I, I still think I would love to do that is just get more people to see that you don't need a $20,000 camera to make content. You can make amazing, beautiful content on your iPhone. You can, um, you know, you, you can pull a GoPro out. The GoPros now have amazing audio. So it's like, you can literally shoot fully edited pieces on a GoPro. There's, there's ways of making awesome content that doesn't require a huge barrier of injury. So, first and foremost just start making it and and i think understand why you're doing it you know why do you want to make content if you are doing it because i just want to be a famous youtuber then i think you're starting you're setting yourself up for maybe failure like understand what it is that is making you want to be a a creator and, and and why you want to you know put the time and energy into doing it because then you'll, uh, avoid maybe a lot of pitfalls down the road. And at the end of the day, like passion sells, man, if you're just excited about something, if you love, uh, insects and you want to make, uh, you know, video content around insects, uh, Yes, start making content around insects and, and and let your passion shine through. I think everyone needs to figure out, again, what's that why and what is that passion and then start – uh, building your content around that.
0: No, that's the, once again, that's just so right on so many levels and real quick. And this is happening. Cause you know, you and I both have, I think about the same years of experience that I think a lot of people are even hesitant to pick up a camera besides, you know, the fear of being judged or what their friends say. It's that things are always evolving. Like no matter totally, what level, man. whether you're just starting out, Or if you've got 10 years of experience, even with you and I, like we've had multiple conversations on how things are just evolving and it's kind of scary. And it's one of those things where it's like, I know I need to lean into it. And I think you do too, but it's just, it almost kind of prevents us from doing it. But I mean, we're going to push through, but it's just always going to be evolving no matter what level you're at.
1: I totally agree, man. And that's another thing. If you're on, you know if you're 18 or 19 listening to this you're probably already making a bunch of content because that's just more ingrained in in your uh, your social group or your your age group but if you're 30 40 50 60 in that age group just making content regularly because that's part of your culture it's it's harder it is it's not natural to what you would do so i think it's important to remember to Always step outside your comfort zone at your, no matter your age and especially if you're on the older end because it is harder to do and and push yourself to try things that you, you wouldn't do with creating content and a good example of that for me is honestly like playing around with TikTok, man. I was so adamant about not doing it because I'm like, this is so silly. This, this short form content, it's just like junk food content. There's not a lot of substance there but... But things always progress, you know. When YouTube is coming out, I can guarantee you, I can promise you, because I was hearing it, people on the on the more traditional side were saying the same thing. All this YouTube stuff, it's just it's it's junk food, it's not real, it's kinda it's just stupid. But now look at it, you know, YouTube held so much more weight. People are putting full-on documentaries and high-end production films on YouTube. So what I'm saying is Take your bias out of it, no matter your age, and realize that the content space moves fast and be ready to adapt yourself with that. So, if that means that, hey, I would never make these, you know, 10 second little silly videos, well, realize that you can make it your own. You know, I started playing with TikTok now and I'm not making like dance videos. Cause that's not my thing. I don't really do just like dances, but it's a fun way for me. I, the more I start playing with it, I realized this is a fun way for me to showcase my personality and, uh, and make some kind of fun little videos with adventure and have my own spin on it. You know, it's just a different platform for it. So whether it's adapting to a platform or adapting to the way you would tell your story, just understand that, um, you may be you may have your own personal bias but the content world doesn't care if you feel that way because it's going to continually evolving and shaping and i think the people that can adapt quickly are the ones that are probably going to do the best with it
0: that is the perfect way to end it i definitely appreciate it wade where can people find your work on instagram youtube where can people find you
1: Uh, so it's just Wade Holland, everything. If you, I mean, you can see a lot of stuff on my, uh, Wade Holland Holland media is kind of the thing that you'll see too. If you go to my website, Wade Holland media, uh, but also just, yeah, Wade Holland, Instagram at Wade Holland, Twitter at Wade Holland, Facebook at Wade Holland. Um, and then now TikTok apparently (laughs) at, uh, at Wade Holland media. Um, and that's where I'm going to be doing this. Uh, I'm excited for this, uh, little series. I'm going to start probably this week with a uh, adventure inside the house with quarantine. So I guess that's something to be on the lookout.
0: And that's what I'm saying. See, even now, like even while we're in quarantine, you're still creating, you're finding a way to be creative. You're niching down again. Like, I feel like we could, ju- I feel like even with the insects actually real quick, do you think at uh, off the top of your head, if you were to niche down in the insect world, do you know, do you know what you would do off the top of your head? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I don't know anything about insects, but I would say like, mm, I don't know. That's, that's tough. You catch me off guard. Maybe just, uh, asking, I, I love doing, I mean, I'm biased here cause I'm pulling like my own. Yeah, No, own that's spin. cool. That's I, cool. But I love, I love it. Do like, I love asking people on the street stuff. I just love catching people a little more off guard and being like, Hey, let me have a on the street conversation with you. So you could just literally take, um, I mean, if you had the insect, you know those, I don't know what it's called, but like the um, almost like the diagrams where there's an insect laid out with like a little pin on it you could take that around and just almost like an on the street bit of asking people do they know what this insect is and I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't so it would be kind of funny to see people respond to crazy looking insects and see what they would think what the name of them would be um, or just yeah like uh, getting people I think it's always cool to get people involved in your world so a lot of people probably aren't into the insect world but if you go on the street or or go to places to ask people I mean shoot you could do it digitally now too right with all these zoom meetings like you could just meeting people and ask them what's the name of this insect and literally put the like picture of that insect up on the screen see what they have to say or just make up funny names around the insect that sound you know there was a bit that i think jimmy kimmel did where he went to coachella and just made up names of djs and said hey have you heard that um djs agasta band is playing tonight and then everyone you you would find some people like oh yeah i'm so excited to see him and they pointed out some of the ludicrous uh and stupidity with it but it was super hilarious and like yeah dude ask people funny names of insects and and see if they've heard of them it i always like combining uh, a light-hearted and playfulness to content too i think i think that sells well over just like really heavy content is is it it's harder for for people to get behind that at times But take for granted there's the world is always not playful in in fairies and butterflies. I get it. But I I think having positivity always trumps negativity, man, period. So I I think having that, that element into it, um, you know, if you're asking people about insects, don't just belittle them and make fun of them. Just make it playful and fun and engage them in your world. Um, whether it's insects or whether it's, um, zany outdoor adventures or whether it's, uh, custom automobiles whatever it is like you can find a way to get people who aren't normally in that world pull them into it
0: yeah and i mean i can only imagine the type of reactions cuz you know i i hate bugs and like i'd freak out so it's like you know if there was a, like an unveil thing like i totally yeah exactly like you there's so many there's just so many ways to go about it. And like I said, that's why I wanted to talk to you. Cause like, even just now catching you off guard, like I knew you'd be able to come up with something, but the whole point is even if like, even if it was like a terrible thing, like who says it's terrible, we don't know the market hasn't decided, you know, we could be like that video sucks or that concept sucks. All right, let's just do one and see what happens. And like you know, we kind of even sandbag the production a little bit and all of a sudden, boom, it goes viral. We're like, whoops.
1: (laughs) It's, It's so true, dude. And that's something I've seen too, is like the production side doesn't matter as much as it does. Again, there's always a need for beautifully shot content, high end cinematography. Yes. But when you're talking online video, social media video, like the concept and the, um, like the story or the the angle that you take with it is so much more important. And, and you see that definitely go on TikTok for five seconds and you'll see that right away. You know, like the videos that do really well on that platform, they're all shot on their phone, not all, but a lot of them are shot with just tools and devices that everyone has. It's just unique takes that they do on trending things or, um, You know, I I kind of have gotten a little more into TikTok recently because it is such a creative platform right now. A lot of people are having a burst of creativity that you wouldn't think that it would blow up. But, like, dude, now it's – yeah, like, these ideas are are becoming trends on that platform. A lot of people don't know that that uh, that song Old Town Road with Lil Nas X that absolutely exploded this past year. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. That came from TikTok. That whole trend started on TikTok, and I think people don't realize that that song <clears throat> was made by a producer and an, uh, I guess a, a a rap artist on TikTok around a trend. Can't remember the name of the trend, but it was like a the horse lasso trend or something. And it started to bubble and bubble and bubble on that platform, and then it popped off that platform and went into mainstream. And then Lil Nas X and Uh, old town road became just like huge you know huge so it's it's interesting man i never would have thought that like you know i I think a a large group of people in the country look at tiktok as just like pointless and silly and i I was in that boat for a while i'm like oh dude this is stupid like it's just meaningless junk food content but i think there are creative things that are happening on that that evolve out of that platform and you see it with old town road and it's cool it's it's fun to see how little trends can start and turn into cultural wide uh references and and things like that
0: yep well dude i gotta <laughs> like i said yeah, sorry, I, I'm no, right no, 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 you're good. no i could keep going i've already got like eight other questions to follow up but we'll definitely have to do this again but once again thank you so much for your time man i seriously appreciate it
1: absolutely man thanks for having me on and um and hope to see you out in los angeles at some point
0: absolutely man all right that does it for today's episode thank you so much for listening i really do appreciate it and i would love your help this podcast is brand new so i need all the help i can get if you would just subscribe to the podcast leave a five-star rating i really really would appreciate it and last but not least i got a little something for you for the last 10 years, I have been writing, shooting, producing, editing my own video to get my dream job as an entertainment reporter in Los Angeles interviewing the stars. Now, that might not be your dream, but if you are in this industry and you are in this field, you are going to need to learn how to write, shoot, and edit, produce, your own content. And now I want to personally train you on these skills so you can create your own journey and make money while doing so. So what I want you to do now is log on to Facebook and request to be in my private Facebook group, On Camera Professionals. Once again, it is called On Camera Professionals. But wait, Thomas, I really like your stuff. I really want to learn from you, but I don't want to be on camera. Don't worry. I got you covered. In this group, I'm going to be doing a live training. So that means live tips and tricks. I'm going to do giveaways, freebies, and I'm also going to do personalized training. So once again, log on to Facebook and type in On Camera Professionals and I'll see you there.